Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Hey, what's up? It's Thomas Nicholas, uh, also known as Kevin from American Pie. And when I'm not going the growl, which I think is better known as the tongue tornado, I'm listening to the Total Reboot with Cam and Alexi. at first we're seeing beautiful countries such as australia new zealand um mozambique and then the world begins to turn further and further away we are no longer looking at the universal logo but instead the logo for the now defunct dark universe and welcome once again to prodigium presents total reboots miniseries on the invisible man the only podcast on the internet about the dark universe. And other movies in general. Imagine if the dark universe logo was Just for used one second. For this. It, would, it would blow my mind. I would have been fucking out of my mind. It would blow my freaking mind. I would be... <laughs> you would be watching the movie with me covered in my brain matter. <laughs> because I would, my mind would have exploded. <laughs> uh, my name is Alicia Toliopoulos. And with me, as always, on the Total Reboot podcast is Cameron James. Mm-hmm. We're in episode two of our Invisible Man miniseries. Last week, we watched the original classic Universal Monsters picture, 1933's The Invisible Man by James. Whale. We liked it a lot. Yeah, it was funny. It's funny, it's weird, it's about a naked man running around. Yeah, it's like a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> Basically, Mel Brooks <laughs> made, remade these movies many a times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but now we're looking at the 2020 update of this movie. A little and, bit of an upgrade. Okay, I was going to say that and I regretted not. And you did it and I'm jealous and I think it's so funny and cool. <laughs> and why would you call it an upgrade? <laughs> <laughs> because it's directed and written by the director and writer of Upgrade, Lee Winnell. An Australian hero. A man who mm-hmm. transcended the ranks of reviewing movies uh-huh. to become a movie maker himself. And it's he's one of those guys that we idolise because of that. He's yep. had this cool run of reviewing movies on TV, not unlike us, <laughs> uh, to making small films, being a shit kicker on lots of films, like just doing any job on those things, finding good success as an actor co-directing, co-writing, co-creating the Saw film franchise, helping out with James Wan, his dearest friend on Insidious as well, and then making Upgrade, which is the sickest freaking action, low-budget sci-fi thriller that there is. I adore that movie so much. And so when I heard that the Dark Universe was being abandoned, sure, my initial reaction was heartbreak. Really, really sad. Calling Universal, threatening. You called it a bomb threat to Universal. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I'm going to freaking blow up the dinosaurs if you don't bring back the freaking Dark Universe. If you don't make a freaking Frankenstein movie with Javier Bardem and... 
the rumored Angelina Jolie as the bride of Frankenstein. I swear to you, I'm going to come in with C4 plastic explosives. And I'm going to fuck shit up. I'm going to fucking blow up the car from Fast and Furious. The old Mustang, the classic the black car. Classic black. I believe it's a Dodge Challenger. It's a Dodge Challenger. I said Mustang, <laughs> and then I remember there was no Mustang logo. Okay, I know, and I I'm wish he didn't call me out about it. Blow it up, and I'm going to freaking go crazy in the I'm universal go Postal in there, yeah. dude. I'm gonna blow up every freaking film set you guys have ever freaking made. You pieces I'm gonna go to the backlog, dude. I'm gonna go to the backlog. I'm gonna do <laughs> shits on every fucking stage. I'm gonna freaking blow up the DeLorean, okay? I'm gonna fuck the DeLorean up. Put it to 88 miles directly into a wall, okay? <laughs> if you don't bring back the fuck universe, I'm gonna fucking go psycho. And then they answered my call and they said, hey, 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 don't, hey, fella. Don't worry. We are going to. Meet your demands. Yes, we're meeting your demands, but also we're going to... You're going to love what we're going to say. We're going to say a word, Mm -hmm. and then you're going to be like, what do you mean by that? And then as more information slowly comes through, you're going to be delighted by our use of that word. And here comes that word. We're going to upgrade... Okay. ...the Universal Monsters franchise. And I'm going, hang on a second, what do you mean by that? Mm. And they said, hang on, hang on. Take a seat, fella. Your brain is about to explode in a positive way. Your brain's about to jizz pure <laughs> liquid happiness. Unadulterated liquid happiness. your glands up there, buddy. <laughs> We're going to drain your freaking cerebral cortex gland, okay, buddy? You're going to love this shit. Because not only that, we're going to get Jason Blum. You love this guy from Blumhouse, okay? Yeah. He's a Blum. The guy's a Blum, okay? And the Blum does what the Blum does and what the Blum wants. And what the Blum does best is make... In exciting and interesting horror films that have a social currency to them. Mm. The guy produced Get Out, for goodness sake. The guy produced Paranormal Activity, for goodness sake, okay? And the guy helped revitalize and revive the career of one M. Night Shyamalan, okay? Shyamalan, okay? okay? We could even get a Shyamalan involved. But what he does best is that he makes... Uh, horrors with a social currency like The Purge, like Paranormal Activity, like Get Out, but also have a filmmaker focus. And I'm excited about this filmmaker focus. And I go, excuse me, Universal, are these going to be connected in any way? And they said, only under the Blumhouse Universal label. Yeah, we're not going to bother... Threading multiple characters, mm-hmm. you're not gonna have Doctor Jekos or Mister Hid yep. running around in there connecting all this shit. You're just gonna get standalone movies that rule, mm-hmm. that rock, and that are righteous, <laughs> brother. <laughs> and then they said the first one coming out is The Invisible Man, directed by the Aussie bloke from Down Under, mm-hmm. from the the star of movie reviews on Recovery, and he also helped make The Mule. And no, not the one that sucks with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> the one that rules with freaking Angus, Angus Sampson. The cool one. The cool one. The cool not mule, the, okay? Okay, the cool mule. I'm like, okay, I call it the cool mule tool. <laughs> I call it cool mule as well. Okay, I get it. And like, and then I, they're talking to me about this and I go, hang on a second. I just got what you meant when you said you're giving it an upgrade. Yeah. And let me tell you, my hat is off to you, sir. <laughs> I, t- I doth tippeth my hat. <laughs> You were so excited. I was so excited. Because, I, like we said, Lee Winnell was like one of those guys that I 
already admire. Mm. And with Upgrade, I'm just like, I can't wait to see what he does next. And then hearing him become attached to uh, these reboots, I found interesting. Because not only this, he's also attached and still developing a reboot or remake, some sort of take on Escape from New York, the classic John Carpenter Mm. film with Kurt Russell. Rumored Wyatt Russell is going to be taking on the role of Snake Plissken. And if I hear anyone else being attached to these things, I would not, I'd be unexcited. Mm. But because Lee Winnell is someone that has proven himself to take genre and upgrade it. (laughs) (laughs) So. Today we're going to be talking about Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to dive into mm-hmm. it. We saw it at a preview screening. Yeah. You've seen it twice. I've seen it twice because the original preview screening that Lee Winnell came out and did a very brief Q&A with our good friend Blake Howard, who was on a previous episode of this podcast, uh, uh, talking about the kind of inspirations for this film mm-hmm. and the way that he received it. And the way that he got onto the film was Blum, uh, Jason Blum of Blumhouse Pictures, asked him, like, okay, we want to get you in. What do you want to do? And, they, and he kept on, like, talking ideas, but they kept on going, bringing up the Invisible Man a lot. Like, what would you take beyond that? What would you take beyond that? And he came up with the idea where he was like, well, you know, it should be a horror film, so what can the Invisible Man do? It should be about him, like, you know, basically abusing and torturing someone and came up with this idea of the main character not being the Invisible Man, but being about a victim of the Invisible <laughs> Man. And so that was just an idea he had, but it wasn't like a pressing thing, which is different for him after coming off Upgrade, of like going like, oh, okay, well now... I'm an in-demand filmmaker. It's not just passion projects. It's like some people are giving me ideas and offering me stuff. And then in the ideas, he talked about it kind of like sticking into his head. And then it's him slowly becoming more and more excited about this idea. Mm. And the, the, the way that he can play with thrills and scares and stuff like that. And with the mood and bring something to it. And he, it became a passion project for him. Mm. And, uh, and then kind of making it like this adult drama. Uh, there's a theater in Los Angeles that he's curating like this little retrospective of films that kind of led him to this. So he's got like stuff like Dead Calm. Mm. I think he may be, he's doing Gone Girl. I think he may be doing What Lies Beneath mm. um, in like this kind of like this little thriller subsection that he's putting on there. Oh, wow. And so it's it's an exciting mm. movie. I think that having seen it twice now, the first cut that I saw... They basically said, this is not a review cut. This is not the final cut of the film. Mm. There is... Uh, but then Lee was just like, no one in this theater will notice the changes. No one will notice. Mm. It's just for me. So I couldn't even tell you what the differences are. There's no no major difference whatsoever. I'm assuming maybe effects. I'm assuming maybe sound mixing, if anything, would be mm. it. And... Um, they were like, you can't review this one. That's why they put a whole second screening on that we could go to. Thank God. Because you can legally review the movie now. Mm, so we're legally allowed to review this? Legally, we're allowed to review this. And it's in cinemas now. We're going to be talking about the film. We will, I guess, spoil some of the plot. But yeah. the way you know us, you know the way that we talk about film is that we focus more on technique acting, uh, interesting elements of the film and not so much plot heavy. But with a thriller like this, it's hard not to kind of talk about the climaxes of the film. Yeah. So stick with us for as long as you want. But I would genuinely... I love this movie. Mm. I genuinely would recommend that you go see it if you want to, if you want to go in f- completely fresh as possible. Yeah. 
I'd say stop right now and go watch it immediately. I'd say stop right now. Thank you very much. I need, I need somebody, somebody with an invisible touch, touch, which is the tagline for this film. <laughs> but let's get into it. our review and discussion of The Invisible Man. What happened to him? Adrian's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. The Invisible Man 2020. That's ironic. Yes, because 2020 usually means good vision, but how can you have good vision if you can't even freaking see the enemy? And that's the tag one. (laughs) 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 This is all man, 2020, directed by Lee Winnell. What you can't see can't hurt you. Not true. Not true, Not true. as evidenced by this movie. Look at diseases like coronavirus. Yeah, you, you can't, can't see, see it, it, but it can absolutely fuck you up. Yeah, it can really mess you up. As you know, I'm in quarantine currently. <laughs> We're doing this on either side of a plastic bubble. Yeah, Alexi's been bubble boyed. I'm in bubble boyed. It's official. I'm the bubble boy. <laughs> when Cecilia's abusive ex takes his own life and leaves her his fortune, she suspects his death was a hoax. As a series of coincidences turn lethal, Cecilia works to prove that she is being hunted by somebody nobody can see. Mm. That alone should tell you the biggest difference between this movie and the previous one that we watched, the 1933 H.G. Wells' Invisible Man is told from the perspective of the titular Mm -hmm. character. Exactly, and this one does not do that at all. You barely even see him. The guy is invisible. Uh huh. The guy who plays the invisible guy is only in two scenes, basically. Towards the end of the film. And a and the brief previ- moment at the start. Brief moment at the start, you don't even get a glimpse of his face. Mm. I think that what this movie does so well is that perspective. Yeah. And giving you this this character that you and I especially like Elizabeth Moss great actor mm. but she, her what she conjures in you just seeing her on screen is like this immense sense of empathy or even sympathy always I've always felt that for her because she's got like this this kindness about her and I think in this movie it's utilized so well to make her the victim of uh, this, what we understand to be this abusive man, this gaslighting man, this man that has complete control over her life because she married like this billionaire optical engineer. Mm. Yeah, he, she married Tony Stark if Tony Stark was freaking psycho. Yeah, if Tony Stark was stark naked, he would be <laughs> an invisible man. So I, I thought that was a brilliant way to start the mm. film. I was so happy to know that we were getting... It's it's a, It takes it back to what it should be, which is a horror movie. The most comparable type of horror movie that this one, that we can compare it to, is a ghost, a ghost story. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, about somebody being tortured by something they can't see. Yeah. Which is what most ghost movies are, most yes. haunting movies haunting are. Haunting movies. This is basically a haunting movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I guess if you want to dive deep, you know, into what that means. It's about being haunted by and tortured by a relationship. Yeah, by a relationship of the past, 
abusive relationship and the way that we introduce this character is that she it's literally on the night of her escape where she has to escape with her sister played by a great Australian actor Harriet Dyer mm. to uh, to escape to safety from this man and it's I think it's really interesting to not know the extent of the abuse in yeah. this relationship to not know the specifics of it but immediately you have this sense of danger this is this sense of like this panic on her where she has to escape where she has to leave it's actually br- really brilliant storytelling mm. right up the top that yeah. before we've even heard her speak, before we've even seen this guy's face, we get everything we need to know mm-hmm. about what their relationship is. We see that she has felt that she needed to drug him mm-hmm. in order to escape, that he's got video cameras everywhere. So you're seeing this sense about. of control already yep, that so she's being monitored all the time. And the fact that she's po- like, Really trying not to wake him up means that she clearly really wants to get away from yep. him. It's actually fucking beautiful economic storytelling. Absolutely. And once you said Dead Calm was an influence on it, I can see it. Because mm-hmm. Dead Calm does a similar thing in the opening of that film where you learn everything about their relationship. Fast. Silently, Simple, basically. silently, yeah. And then, like, to take that and, like you said it be this haunted ghost story for then her to be in the safety and trying to start this new life away from him, but in secrecy because he's still out there. And then to find out that he has killed himself Mm. is this great twist on the idea where it literally, it it brings up this sense of, okay, we've seen that there's some high-tech stuff in his house. He is like an engineer of some kind. He's made his millions doing something. Mm. But then the idea that, Oh, is it a ghost that's haunting her? Is the Invisible Man now a mm. ghost? And is it literally haunting her? Or is it because she feels this trauma that is this what she thinks is going on mm. in her life? Is it not this at all? Let me tell you, this is my... This is the scariest type of horror movie mm. for me. It's something that is... Whenever I watch movies like this, I feel it so deeply in my chest. Mm-hmm. I feel so sad. This is the type of movie where... The central character is the only one yeah. who knows what's going on and mm. no one else believes them. Yeah. The gaslighting horror movie. You know, you know when there's a scene in all these movies where they're trying to explain to someone, like, no, you have to believe me. Mm. He's here, he's in the room, he's trying to get me, and everyone else is shooting looks at each other like she's crazy. Yeah. She doesn't know what's going on. She's that hallucinating. Is my fucking worst nightmare. Yeah. The idea of no one believing you, no one trusting you, people thinking you're insane behind your back mm. is horrifying to watch. Mm. I, I get tense every time I'm watching something like this. And I think that Elizabeth Moss is so well cast in this film. Oh, well, yeah. And the performance is superb. There's something about the way that she creates this frantic energy in her and the way that she channels the idea of being someone who is ruled by their trauma and even in their escape cannot escape that trauma. Mm-hmm. There's no safety for her. If he died and that's the end of the story and he's not torturing her, literally, we would be seeing a similar, I think a very similar performance of someone mm-hmm. still being tortured and still being doubted by the people around her. And the way that she captures that I think Elizabeth Moss is one of the finest actors working today who I'm Mm -hmm. excited to see and everything. 
She did you see the movie she did last year called Her Smell? No, not yet. It's this great movie by Alex Ross Perry where um, it's like four scenes and each one is like on a significant moment in this act, this character's life, and a character is like this a Courtney Love analog basically mm. of like a female rock star, uh, like punk rock star, and uh, she was like my performance of the year basically. I would have, I I loved her performance in that. Only her and Lupita Nyong'o are the two great performances of last year that I'm like, I will see anything they do now forever. Hmm. And her kind of channeling that that same kind of trauma and applying it to this genre study like this, it elevates this material, which already is like bringing in like this this uh, societal problem, which I think the great, the great horror movies do that, where they tap into a societal problem out there, and in this case, it being domestic violence or abuse and uh, men controlling women and men with power controlling women and using that as a currency to tell a genre study, a genre picture, and having this magnificent performance, it elevates it even more. This mm. is the real Upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> You're so jealous that I said upgrade. I know. Stuff. Now I just have to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> She's got one of those um, faces, and I, I've been a fan of hers since Mad Men. Mm. But she's got one of those faces that is so precise in her ability to project oh, emotion, internal yes. emotion. You know, it's like precision. It's like that, like George Clooney's that actor that I always mm. talk about, who has like he's a master of pinpoint. his face, pinpoint, yeah. and be able to express what he's feeling in a way that feels natural. But also, it's like I know he knows everything he's doing. That's such a good point. She yeah. does exactly that, and she's been doing it for a long time. In Mad Men, her character was, you know, ostensibly the only one who was ahead of her time yep. in that whole group of people. So yeah. while everyone's being misogynistic and anti-feminist, yeah. she's the one there being like, but I'm from 2017. Yeah, or I'm a 2017 I'm, person. I'm the modern day character mm. stuck here in the past. Please, yeah. fucking why is no one on the same wavelength as me? In Handmaid's Tale, obviously, it's a yeah. similar situation. She's just very good at being the only person who is correct mm. in these scenes and expressing the frustration and the anger and the fear that goes along with that. She she floored me in this movie. And it's not just like the big emotional stuff. She does stuff to me that's unbelievable what she can do. There's a, t- a line in this movie that I'm like, any other actor would fuck this up and it would make the movie worse, mm-hmm. where she is in a confrontation with her her ex her husband's l- brother, who is his lawyer as well, where she's confronting them going like, I am sure he's out there and he's torturing me. And then she says, he's a, he's an expert. He's a leading he's a leading voice in optics. And anyone else saying that, I'm like, that would sound so goofy. It's fucking gibberish. But the way that she kind of imbues that line and uses it as like the key line in that scene to go like, this is my proof. This is my proof. Mm. And to kind of like say that through a line of exposition, because that's an expository line. Yeah. But to imbue it with her emotional stakes, it, I'm like, no one else can do that. Mm. Only me. I think I could do it. But that's it. I'll give it a shot now. <laughs> He's a he's um he's good at optics. She did a better man. Oh come! No on, offense dude. or whatever. Like yours is fine, but I think I'm going to stick with Elizabeth yeah, Moss's okay. well, take on it. Okay, I'm calling up Universal. I'm threading a bomb. <laughs> I'm going to put a bomb thread in. 
<laughs> Let's talk about um, the way that this movie uses horror because we've just oh, watched the yes. we just watched the original last yep. week, and obviously it's more science fiction than horror. More science fiction, and it, it's a wonderful display of uh, special effects techniques. And, like, as well, if we give props to the original more so than anything, it uses the editing in a more exciting way to create suspense than uh, than its contemporaries of its time does. But this film uses the idea of, you know, you know what you're going into. The movie's called The Invisible Man. Mm. So you have a preconceived notion of what the type of scares in this movie is. You know that it's going to be an invisible man perhaps torturing someone in some yeah. way or causing a ruckus. So the filming technique that Lee Winnell uses, it, it it's it's already imbued with that idea. It has the... Uh, uh, he does something really wonderful, which I love in this kind of modern mm. era of horror films. Probably, you know, as anyone who's a long-time listener knows, I wasn't a fan of the mm. genre until probably it follows. So how yeah. long ago was that? Four or five years ago? Yeah, I think that came out when we first started Blank Slate. Yeah, right. So not very long ago, I started, you know, appreciating what horror mm. movies are. Which to me is when I got into it when I was like 18, for the same reason that you got into it, where you're, uh, now, what you can appreciate about these films is that horror films are made with the express purpose to scare. That's mm. the main reason for them to exist, and you're seeing a director utilize technique for the spe- for that specific purpose. Yeah, and so you're seeing you're seeing that develop, and seeing that's what got me into them is because like it's very rare to understand technique in a way I'm where sure. it's like you're directly understanding why this filmmaker is making these decisions. Yeah, there's no there's no set style to the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Like you can. If your horror movie requires you to be fast-paced and quick with your editing, mm. then that's what you use. If it requires you to be slow and still, then that's what you use. Yeah. It's just whatever you need to use in your directorial color palette mm-hmm. to provide scares. Something I wasn't aware of. I just always associated horror movies with the ones I saw when I was a teenager, yeah. which were those slasher... Oh, that, uh, like, torture porny. T- yeah. Like, I mean, uh, St- Saw is an example of well, that. Well, yeah, le- I'd say late-era slashes, yeah. sort of like After Scream, when yeah. everything was a copy of a copy. Yeah. And early-era torture porn, which was, like, Hostel. And, Hostel, Eli Roth. And, yeah, the Eli Roth movies, which I just... Rob like, a Zombie, yeah. one Robert Zombert. Yeah, some Robert Zombert movies. Um <laughs> But this one really uses stillness and precision in a way that I really love. Mm. Um, Maria Lewis, friend of the show, great film reviewer, great horror buff. Mm. The used, greatest horror buff. Used this quote in her, I think it was The Guardian. Yeah, yeah with on, The Guardian, an interview with Lee Winnell. Guardian interv- interview with Lee Winnell. She says, uh, let me find the quote. Um, okay. Winnell's riff on the classic story is tense and atmospheric, Doing for empty spaces what Jaws did for the ocean. Fucking great line, Maz. Perfect that summation, Maz. Perfectly summed it up. This movie, you know, the ocean and Jaws, you're just constantly wondering where the fuck is that shark mm. going to pop out. It's the same for this movie. There's yeah. still locked off shots, wide shots yes. of an empty room that go for like a minute, two minutes, yeah. maybe even longer with just our lead character in there alone in a corner sitting by herself and mm. the whole time you're scanning the frame yeah. looking for where this thing is going to be. Like you're looking for something to get knocked off yeah. or 
picked up and thrown at her, and you never know where it's going to come from. You never know. The first time you really see it is like there's this shot of her in the bedroom, and then the camera just pans away from her to the other side of the room and stays on that before going back to her. Very much reminded me of that shot in Taxi Driver where Mm. Travis is on the phone to Sybil Shepard's character and the camera, he's having that awkward conversation, the camera pans away as if like what's happening to him is too torturous, you can't can't even witness it. Mm. And this one is like you're seeing her going through her stuff, moving away, and you're like, well, there's a reason the camera's moving and then you... end up on an empty blank frame yeah and you're that's when it establishes this idea of like you have to be suspicious of what is not in the frame mm-hmm. and these blank spaces are not safe they are the area of danger in this film yeah and the way that it utilizes on that first one it's almost like well we've looking here for a reason there's nothing here oh is the reason God. there is something here dude I shrank down in my seat the moment the camera mm. stayed on that empty blank part of the room because it was about 30 seconds mm-hmm and all I was expecting a jump scare. Yeah. It didn't happen. Yeah. And then that made me even more scared because I thought, well, then there's going to be a jump scare yeah. at one point and I'm not going to know when it's going to be. It's such a great introduction to that because horror is all about building tension and then relieving tension through scares or through, oh, okay, we're okay kind of mm. thing. Oh, it was just the cat. Like, yeah. You know, something like that. Or, oh, it was my friend walking into the room. And this one... To build that up so tensely and so wonderfully and then to not relieve it. Mm. Like, there's no relief. It's not like, oh, it's nothing. It's like, no, we don't know. We're not telling you if it's nothing. We're not telling you if there's someone there. It could be either of those, but we're not telling you. It makes you doubt every single time. Because there's times where there's negative space and you're like, and she's looking at it and she's like focusing on this negative space and you're doing the math in your head. You're like, okay, so where is he? He's over there. Okay, he's losing his space. Okay, carry the two. He's like, could not be there. (laughs) But then you're like, there's no way that the invisible man's here in the scene. There's mm. no way mm. that he can be in this scene. But because you're still focusing on that, it makes it sets this idea of doubt every single time there's negative space. Yeah. And it's so tense, it's so wonderful, and such an exciting use of technique to and it's new technique because like negative space has always been used in horror to like make you focus on like something's gonna crash into this. Mm-hmm. But to use it in a way where there's just no relief from it, where there's just times where there is just negative space, it's a new it's a new take on this very tried and true horror technique that's so exciting. Also, combined with the fact that this is a very adult story, a mm-hmm. very twenty twenty story. This is about a woman who was emotionally abused and it's hinted at physically abused or sexually abused Mm -hmm. by her partner um and she's left him and she's literally being haunted by the trauma yes in a very literal way yes um so you've got that combined with this horror technique it makes it even scarier i mean this is we're living in a world now where stalking is is like in the news all the fucking time. All the time. Now. There's always there's always women like coming forward and saying that their partner fucking stalked them for years mm-hmm. or he hacked into their emails yeah. and social media, he spied on their friends. It's a very relevant story he now. Use technology to yeah. fucking frighten them and make them feel guilty and t- tell all their friends mm-hmm. that she was the crazy one. Yeah. That's what this movie's about. 
That's it's about the, that. And it's like a very Hitchcockian style take on that. Like mm. Hitchcock is the is the first person to kind of do these things, but tend to update this stuff. Sorry. Oh, so shit. what? I'm going to freaking call Universal right now. <laughs> I'm going to put a threat on my own self. <laughs> but to upgrade these ideas for the 21st century, uh, it's 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 the way that when you see like De Palma doing his Hitchcock riffs, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Franklin doing his Hitchcock riffs, and to like see it again done like this, I'm like this, to told with more sensitivity and not to have any of like the grubbiness of your De Palmas or Hitchcocks that they bring to these things for this to not feel any kind of leery or any kind of sense that like also we know that Lee Winnell is like the nicest guy so it's not like it doesn't have any of that ickiness that those mm. films have beyond like what your experience in the theatre is or anything beyond yeah. in what is intentioned for it to be yeah I'm gonna say having not seen Hollow Man that this is the opposite of what Hollow mm. Man does Do- Hollow Man directed by Paul Verhoeven the biggest grub or yeah. the, like who makes the grubbiest films yeah I think he's quite from what I understand, a nice guy, but he makes scrub films. Yeah. Like, I think the only thing that I know about Hollow Man mm. um, is that there was a scene, or you saw a bit of it in the trailer, where he, like, he, like, pulls a woman's top down while she's yeah. asleep and, like, starts feeling her up and stuff yeah. like that. That's all I know from that movie, and I'm like, I'm scared of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's scared fucking of it. slimy. It's so grot. Like, He's a grub. That's grub, man. That it's grub behavior, grub. grub movie, and I honestly can't wait to watch it next <laughs> week. I'm finally going to dip into Hollow Man. Yeah, I'm too scared, but, you know, we'll see. But So this movie, uh, I think this movie feels very adult because I, yes. I didn't quite know what to expect going in. I thought we were going to be getting a lot more jump scares mm. and knowing the pedigree of Lee Winnell's history with mm. Saw, yep. I expected in a way that we would get a little more gore mm. in this. I thought we were going to get you really we gonna long, get protracted torture moments. Or a sequel to An Inconvenient Truth, a little bit more gore. Uh, Al Gore, that is. Geez, is that Louis. funny or should I edit that out of the podcast? That's really funny. <laughs> okay, I'm putting it in again. Here, this, here comes the same joke. And Cam, that's a good point for us after the wonderful Al Gore joke to take a little quick break. We're taking a little break from the podcast, okay? You may have thought that we're still reviewing a movie, but no, this is a paid sponsorship. Uh, we are going to be <laughs> plugging right now a very exciting brand new podcast from the Batuta Advocate called The Batuta Generation. No, it's called Generation Batuta, but that's close enough. Well, it's close. Let me just go back and slice around to be saying it correctly, and it won't have you uh, questioning me at all. We're talking about a podcast called... Generation Batuta. <laughs> Created by the Batuta Advocate. It's available now on Spotify for you to listen to. But here's a little taste of what that might sound like. G'day listeners, Louis Burke here with Generation Batuta. The stories that matter to you and the other five members of your share house. Open your ears and blow your minds as our weekly youth program brings you stories about pill testing, climate change and a cheeky story about sex to make sure you listen until the end. Our crack production team includes social justice reporter Katrina Sakamoto, who has brought you stories such as... Meet the bodybuilders who are challenging toxic masculinity by lifting heavy floral arrangements. And youth gonzo journalist Evan97, who goes deep to bring you stories like... Have you ever pretended to like some cool music just to fit in? Turns out, 
ants do it too. And I, back in the studio, will be reading your messages, speaking to the people you want to hear from, and the occasional conservative backbencher in the interest of fairness. I am, you are, we are, Generation Batuta. Generation Batuta. Tune in now on Desert Rock FM, or if you don't live in Batuta, listen free, only on Spotify. Generation Batuta is an exciting new podcast. I'm excited to listen to it. I like stuff that is funny, mm. and I think this might be one of those examples of something that is funny. I like it because, well, I mean, they're paying us to say that we like <laughs> it, and also because I genuinely do like we it. We genuinely do like it. We read, we subscribe, we love these guys. We think that's the funniest and we also like the fact that we are getting paid to promote yes. this. Yes, is this a paid promotion? We cannot be more transparent about that. Sure, you're listening to an episode about the Invisible Man, but let me tell you this. This moment is the most transparent part of the episode where oh, we are being honest about everything. That is so clever, dude. Thank you so much. Not as clever as you, Cameron, who appears in this <laughs> podcast as a couple of characters. Yeah, I was very clever. I read the lines that they told me to say, and mm-hmm. uh, I feel very clever about that. You're so clever, you. you're funny, you know, we're being honest about about this because we honestly do think it's going to be freaking sick and funny as heck. It's going to be sick, Oz. It's going to be freak, Oz. Check it out on Spotify. <laughs> Listen to it now on Spotify. So you thought this movie was going to be much gorier. I don't know. I don't know if I thought it, but I just, I was scared that it was going to be. Mm. I mean, I've, I've said this to you before. I've said it on the podcast, maybe that I, I love this new wave of horror movies. I love that I get to enjoy them now, but mm. I'm also fucking shit scared yeah. of watching a horror movie in the cinema and being scared in front of mm. all those people. You cowered away in this movie. I've never seen that from you before, but you <laughs> shrunk. You covered your eyes at a couple of points. I just was I was holding my head in my hands. I never covered my eyes. Okay, you covered your cheeks. I had my hands on either side of my face, Kevin McAllister style. Yeah. Um, and I, was, I just, all I do, I'm scared of like the idea that I may scream publicly and oh, everyone yeah. looks at me. That was my fear watching that Sonic I jump in pub- 4DX. I was worried that I moaned when the chair moved a certain way. <laughs> so I, what I try to do whenever I see a horror movie in the cinema is I try to sit down as far back into the chair as possible so that I cannot jump. Literally Travis Bickle style. Travis Bickle (laughs) style. And have, I don't know, I just protect my body. Mm, Exactly, (laughs) you got to protect yourself. I'm all covered up. A lot of people, like, when they go to a concert, they wear, like, earbuds or something Mm, like that. They mm. wear, like, little earplugs. Cam puts a cork in his mouth as to not make a squeak. Cork in mouth, I wear a Snuggie, and I just... (laughs) And they don't make them anymore. Cameron but I, wears I sunglasses just so it's like, I want to see less of the movie slightly. Those Kanye shades. <laughs> yeah, I wear the those Kanye Venetian Ven- Kanye shades. <laughs> the Venetian Kanye shades. Yeah. I think one of the other things I find really exciting about this movie and uh, what helps build these techniques in that really tense way is it has such an incredible overpowering score. Like this very classical, big, overpowering score that kind of uses strings the same way that Bernard Herrmann would use them for like Psycho, where mm. strings are like the big element, but then it's got these like kind of like more modern digitally or more modern like these big hums that kind of go mm. through it that you would kind of see in like a Hans Zimmer score, but kind of like bring those two disparate elements together, create this like really, like this really 
overpowering sense of dread in a way. I thought it's a brilliant score. It's by a composer called Benjamin Wallfish, who I would say is like the equivalent to like Lee Winnell when it comes to scores, because he's an up and coming composer who has worked in like music department and composing departments of like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, It, Dunkirk, Hidden Figures. But I would say this might be his biggest work where he is the lead composer of mm. the film. And so it's like, I, I think that this is a brilliant score. I, I And it's very rare these days where you're like, oh man, the music, the score. But I think that this is one where I'm like, this is doing everything that I need it to do. And it feels like it's drawing on the past of like these ideas of what the classical horror movies that or classical thriller movies that inspired this are or that have led us to this. It's like it has like this real sense of legacy, this score that kind of creates that sense in your head of like understanding what the kind of movie that you're watching is. Hmm. I have a question for you mm-hmm. and don't take it personal. Okay. But um, are you dumb? Are you a stupid <laughs> fucking idiot? Are you the dumbest guy I've ever seen? Okay, well I won't take it personally, and I guess I maybe is the answer, or like, <laughs> don't take it personally. But have you had a shower lately? <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I've had several already today. About fourteen showers. Why <laughs> 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 just go in there and sit in the rain? You know. <laughs> um, you said to me. That you were hoping, and I'm getting into spoiler territory, okay. that the invisibility was not going mm. to be a suit. Yeah, no, I didn't want it to be tech-based. And? I think it's perfect. I yeah. think it is, it's a tech-based, it's a suit. They utilize it really well. But- Why did you think, what made you think it was going to be a suit? Um, because I thought that it would be the easiest way to do it, where it's like people can believe it. I think about the way that I thought it would be and the way that it is, and I, I, but I can, the way that it is is like he's an optic expert, like the leading voice in optics, as they say. But, um, which is a thing we all know. Yes, it's cameras or whatever. Yeah, sure. Eyes, shit shit like that. Lenses, I guess. Yeah, I guess Um, so. Maybe he invented the Kanye shades. (laughs) He invented the Venetian (laughs) shades. But, like, do you remember the movie Die Another Day, the James Bond one? Do I? Yeah, do Do I? Can I ask you a question? I don't take it mostly. Do you remember the movie Die Another Day, the James Bond film? That's a really personal question. Yes, all right. I remember so the song by Madonna. Guess yeah. I'll die another Sigmund day. Sigmund Freud, Sigmund Freud. <laughs> uh, but in that film, the Aston Martin Vanquish, yeah. they're like, Vanish. hold the cue, and I am cue. <laughs> oh, I'm cue, I'll hold <laughs> me, I am. <laughs> and they call the Vanish because it can go invisible, and that's because it's got little cameras all over yeah. it. Yeah, and I always like, oh, that's kind of lame. I but just, that is... Oh, Apparently, how they made those <laughs> Learjets disappear back oh, in the yeah. day. Well, which sucks. Yeah. It was the same thing happened in fucking Homecoming. There was the jet. Yeah, exactly. The jet has cameras the on it. The jet's got cameras. Blah, blah, blah. Who My, gives Blah, blah. Toss? Just say magic, okay? Mm. And I, to me, it's like that over-explanation of things yeah. to kind of make things believable. But yeah. I, for me, it's like... We're watching a film. I already am suspending my disbelief. You mm. can make it a little bit supernatural, or you can like 
find a reason that's not just like he is the most absolutely Christopher Nolan esque <laughs> believable sci fi yep. Batman real technology Tumblr type thing where it's like mm-hmm. he's the real shit. This is why we can do the goofy laugh gas in this movie now. And it's kind of those things where if anything that takes me out of the movie more than them just kind of going like oh it's a spell <laughs> or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the way that's done in this is like I bought it every single time and it was something that you and I talked about after is that when you finally do see the suit that is the invisible suit it is scarier it's scary looking than the negative space because it's like this uh l- l- like rubber it's like a fucking gimp suit it's like a gimp suit it's, it's black completely rubber skin tight suit that's covered in these little bumps which mm. we are to believe are camera lenses that are yeah. taking in information and then yeah. projecting them over itself sort of thing so to make it look like there's no one there yeah whatever like who knows how the fuck this thing is supposed to work but but when it the flickers fact that it sees... looks scary when it's on its own yeah. and when you see that black suit stalking through yeah. dark rooms it's scary too yeah great decision it's scarier than like when it's invisible like mm. I, it's, it also accesses because it's covered in cameras it accesses that tryptophobia mm. of like the that All phobia the little, dots. little dots and little holes looking like yeah. paws yeah and I think that I don't have that if anything I'm the opposite where I'm like show me them I like it I like little holes I like the little you holes you like crumpets I love crumpets you like to it's like you like to get a whole packet of crumpets and stick them all over yeah. your body. If you ever see me walking around the streets, I might not see you because I often have crumpets taped to my glasses so I can <laughs> only see them. You want to see through the eyes of little tiny holes. <laughs> yeah, I love seeing those little holes. I'm inventing a new type of shades. It's like Venetians, but it's actually little holes. <laughs> I just look through little holes at all times. Oh, I hope Kanye wears them. <laughs> I, hope, I hope Kanye wears them and we become friends. <laughs> Um, but then, uh, so access is that tryptophobia where it's like that, that phobia of seeing little holes looking like paws. And it's like seeing those with like these little fucking glass cameras on mm. there. It's something about that's so creepy. And I yeah. think those moments where the suit, cause it's the invisible man. There's always got to be a way to see the invisible man. Uh, like in the classic one, it's like talking about how, oh, well, there's soot or if it's snowing outside, I can be seen. If I'm and- about to take a shit. <laughs> You can see a big lump of brown turd floating through the air. If you didn't listen to the last week's episode, (laughs) that is real. He does say that in the movie. After I've had lunch, you will see me digest. Which is just fucking violent. (laughs) I wish we got to see it. I wish. But, unfortunately... tragically, we just have to draw it ourselves in the back. Yeah, yeah. And then whack off to that. And just (laughs) really enjoy it. Uh, But in this one, it's like this suit. And I think that... Um, it, to make it part of the plot, to make it be like, oh, there's just, there might be another suit. There mm-hmm. might be. And then it becomes the idea of like, well, especially on this rewatch, I had this idea where it's like, how many people are in these suits? How mm. many people are involved? Because mm. this guy's a rich guy. He's got infinite resources. That really started making me... I was thinking that towards the end too. Yeah. And it's like never revealed. And it's just this thing that's true film ambiguity Mm. where it's like, yes, you find out that there are other people involved, but to what extent it doesn't even become part of the movie. It's not her being curious about it. It's nothing. Mm. And it's just like there could have been multiple invisible men this entire time and it's just not part of it. And I think that's true ambiguity, not like something like Joker where it's just like, well, it's this. And if it is, it's the worst movie ever made. Yeah. I love um, 
I mean, you do get some moments like when he's walking in the rain, you see the rain kind of drip off him. There's the classic jump scare, which is in the trailer where she throws a tin of paint and yep. it hits the invisible man. And that's when you first see the texture of the suit yeah. where it's all weird like a golf ball because it's covered in white paint. Yeah, so there's moments like that. But then the moment that I fucking loved, which happens about three quarters of the way through the movie, is she attacks him and the suit begins to glitch. Mm. So it's coming in and out of um, invisible, flickering. invisible, flickering, or parts of it become visible yeah. for split seconds. It's kind of got that um, Fight Club, uh, mm. Tyler Durden appearing yeah. sort of effect. That, to be honest, the moment when other people started to see the flickering suit yeah. was the first moment I took a, I exhaled yeah. happiness or like relief <laughs> in this whole movie. The first time you relieved tension. So that was like 90 minutes of everyone thinking that she was crazy. Yeah. And then finally other people started to see the suit and I was like, oh, thank fuck. Now people don't think she's insane. Mm. So she can like- They're all on her side People can be on her side for a moment for yeah. fuck's sake and she'll have help. Yeah. That's all. I was so happy when that started happening. And then it, it, it changes tone in the last like, quarter which i really love too it mm. wasn't it wasn't straight horror the whole way through it becomes action horror becomes maybe? action horror yeah which yeah. I, I loved because you're seeing like you know wonderful choreography once again like that upgrade style of choreo- choreography where the camera's following the action in this way where it's not um it's very clear it's very clean and clear where you mm. see everything that's happening and to see like the invisible man like taking down like 40 guards basically because mm. they have no idea where he is where you can see them and you're seeing him like kind of like play with them mess with them torture them it's very cool yeah. unfortunately to see people die in movies sometimes is extremely cool it is extremely cool can i say um thank god that adrian griffin the invisible man is strong because imagine if you were invisible man, but you were a weakling. <laughs> if you were you as the it invisible man, it was like man. friggin' Woody Allen or something, like trying to beat oh people up. But yeah. you see, like little, like little fist marks where he's trying Are to punch close? people on their yeah. shirt. Instead, it's a guy who could twist their heads around and yeah. stuff like that. And he's and, buff as fuck. Somehow. And it's like Jason Bourne, mm. where you're seeing him like kind of disarm people a yeah. lot. And like, there's this one shot that I found like so satisfying in that like Jason Bourne-esque mm. way or like that classic action movie way where he takes a gun off someone, he like disarms him and stuff and he just walks and then you just see the gun turn around and just shoot. And you're like, yeah. oh, he's just killed this guy and didn't even see it. Yeah, I love that. I was like, this is sick. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm a bro and I love bro shit. Yeah, I love, I'm a fucking bro, dude. I love to watch bros bro out and bro some fuck shit up. And bro some freaking balls, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, I don't want to spoil too much about the ending or whatever, but mm. I, I, I want to say, even though they've said that they're not building a connected universe mm. here and they're not necessarily planning to make more, mm. it does leave some doors open. Yeah. It's a defined ending yes. in some ways. This is like a one and done. Like this could this this is a perfect encapsulation of this. The ending perfectly encapsulates the themes of this movie. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it also like that classic horror ending, it doesn't not just leaves a door open for a sequel, but it leaves you in the idea of like in your head of like what is next for this world? What is the other tortures that this world has to offer these Are people? Are we allowed to say 
I guess we are. Well, you know, if you want to see the movie, we're going to talk about the ending now. So this is your last chance to live free and enjoy your life as someone that does not know the ending of The Invisible Man from two fellas talking about it into microphones. <laughs> but instead gives you the chance to walk out, walk to a cinema, say one for The Invisible Man, please. Or, or two. Because I don't know if I'm by myself, to be honest. <laughs> I might have an invisible man or woman next to me. <laughs> it could be either of those things, and I'm scared. And then you sit down, and all of a sudden, next to you in the cinema, you see a box of popcorn gets placed around the lap height. And then you're like, hang on a second, there's a hole burrowing through the bottom of the popcorn, and then... Much like a donut, the popcorn just sits around an invisible cylinder on the inside of the popcorn. And you go, well, shit, when in Rome. (laughs) When in Rome, I must moan. (laughs) So this is your point to leave and um, forget about anything. And go jack off an invisible man (laughs) (laughs) cinema. So, okay. uh, I I actually really loved, obviously, the way the film ends with the... There's a big climax, and then there's the personal climax mm-hmm. between Cecilia and Adrian, yep. which I, I really loved. I don't yes. think we've even talked about it. but No, I, because especially because Adrian's character as the Invisible Man, you don't see him at all in that opening part of the movie. No. You don't know his face, which adds to this idea of, like, he's truly invisible to us mm. at all times, because mm. he could be any man in, this, in the background of a shot not invisible. Mm. could be anyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that was really nice. And I also, I started to worry through most of the film that maybe they just cast some model mm. um, <laughs> yeah. at the start and then we were never going to see him. But then when, when we do get to see him, it turns out he's actually a fucking great actor as well. Yeah, It's, it's an actor called Oliver Jackson Cohen, an English actor and model. And uh, looking at his other filmography, it's nothing else that I'm familiar with apart from the movie Faster. Um, with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's good. And he's in The Haunting of Hill House. Right, okay. He's got a great face for this because he's a very handsome, good-looking, strong guy. Yes, beautiful, stunning, looks like Scott Speedman, the world's hottest man. But but when he smiles, he does look fucking sinister. There's this menacingness about him. Yeah, you can see, like, because he's smiling to look charming. Mm. But also you can see that this is a man who could smile in a fucking vile, Mm. evil way as well. And he plays the true duality of this character so well. Because that final scene where it's Elizabeth Moss confronting him, where it's revealed that he is alive and like... Has he been the mastermind of this whole thing, or has it been his brother, um, played by a wonderful Australian actor uh, by the name of Michael Dorman? New Zealand Australian actor, but he's like, we've seen him in every Australian TV show for like yeah. the last 30 years. He's great in this. Great yeah. actor, great performance, great slimy performance, mm. and great under the thumb performance as well. Mm. But it's everything about this film creates this ambiguity where it's like, has he, has the invisible man been. Uh, the culprit, the mastermind behind everything, and the way that uh, Oliver Jackson Cohen plays it, where it's like, you're the only one that can see the real me. You're seeing my handshake. You're the only one that gets to see that. Where it's like, he feels, you can see this trauma in him as well. Mm. Is he playing that, or is he scared about what he's doing? Is he scared about being caught out? And it's true ambiguity. Mm. And it ends in a very unambiguous way. 
I think. Mm. Like, the the villain gets his just desserts yeah. quite literally. Yes, because he is sitting he's at a dining table. He's probably about to eat and dessert And going to dessert any second now. Yes. He's going to have chocolate cake. Actually, I might say just but dessert. It might ju- not be just justice dessert, dessert he gets. Justice dessert. He gets his justice desserts. Yeah, he gets justice desserts. Uh, not just dessert, but um, he served something else that is cut with a knife. His throat. He's <laughs> he's served a dish that is best served cold, which is revenge via a knife cutting <laughs> in the throat. <laughs> yeah, he gets killed by by Elizabeth Moss, who dons the invisibility suit mm. and makes it look like the guy has killed himself. Yeah. Really great moment. It's a lovely moment of vengeance and mm. revenge, and we get to see that this woman is finally free mm-hmm. of this man's psychological torture yeah. and that she will not be blamed for it. It looks like he did it himself, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But then that opens up the door to me. Like, has she become the monster now? Yeah. She's it's very... figured out how to use the suit. Yeah. She's gotten revenge. She's clearly enjoyed the feeling that that yeah. gave her. Does this open up room for an invisible woman? Would mm-hmm. they ever do that? I don't Where know. Where she's the monster. I feel like I like that this ends this way and I like that it's that thing where it's like, yeah, I'm left with these questions like what is her morality now where mm. she's where she's taken killing to people. She's killed people. She loves it. And she thinks it's awesome. She's cool. She likes <laughs> yeah. the way it looks. She thinks I like the way this feels. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. no, but she doesn't. But it's like that thing where it's like it's like, yes, and now I'm just imagining what could be next for these people. But do I want to see it? Much like the invisible man? I like not seeing it more. But if it... Because if Lee Winnell came back and did a sequel, like I said, after Upgrade and now this movie, I'm a day one Lee Winnell guy now. Mm. I'll see anything he does day one because it's these exciting genre studies. And if he moves away from genre studies to doing something else entirely, I'm still excited for whatever he does because it's like you're seeing someone who's already an expert of technique has wonderful like writes wonderfully as well can create these great characters these great tension but has like this understanding of perspective so well that's key to me now to enjoying films is films that understand have a great understanding of perspective and I think with these two films he's shown that that he has that he's captured mm. it so I don't know would you want to see a sequel a direct sequel I don't think I need to mm. but I like that it Leaves you thinking about one, mm. you know. I know. I like that. I don't think I need to. I think I'd rather. Um, I'd oh, rather man. watch Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Man, do you think you'll watch that? I think I'll have to. Yeah. It's directed by John Carpenter, who Lee Winnell might be the next John Carpenter. Yeah, I'll say it. He might be. Yeah, because yeah. he has that social currency. Yeah, you know, Bloomhouse is very much inspired by John Carpenter. Yeah, and um. I don't know. I, I will watch that. Directed by John Carpenter starring Chevy Chase. Yeah, one of my heroes. That's exciting. You don't like his movies. You like his personal attitude. Yeah, I prefer the way he treats people that he works with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes them scared and upset. <laughs> Poor Chevy. Why? He had a tough life growing up. Wasn't he rich? Yeah, but he was... So he's, his mother was abusive to him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. well, sorry, Chev. Sorry, Chevy. Sorry, Chev. Yep. But, you know, luckily, he all he turned out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you haven't seen The Invisible Man, go check it out. It's mm. like, genuinely, we loved it. Yeah. I think it's 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 exciting movie. It's an exciting place for genre to be at right now. And um, 
It's just cool as heck. It's cool as heck, and it's Aussie as heck. It's shot in mm, Sydney. Shot in Sydney. It's got great actors like Benedict Hardy, Benedict Hardy, our friend Harriet mm-hmm. Dyer. Mm-hmm. Great Aussie actors. Nash Edgerton's in it for a sec. Yeah, there's parts because it's supposed to be set around uh, in California, around San Francisco, oh, yeah. and there's parts that are clearly Sydney, and I love that. But honestly, that is the only way to do it because there's no other city and another uh, nowhere else in Australia in the world that looks like Australia, especially. Mm-hmm. When it comes to light, mm. the closest analog is San Francisco. Mm. So every time they film a movie in Australia, they have to set in San Francisco, in my opinion. They have to. And this is like one of the few times San Francisco, great setting. It's got that vertigo element to mm-hmm. it as well. You've got that feeling of like that. It's honoring that Hitchcock stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I had I forgot that I had notes about San Francisco, and you brought them up. I'm sorry <laughs> at the end of the episode. <laughs> um, I was there recently Lovely city mm. Beautiful You Try did the, the Vertigo coffee. tour Try the coffee Yeah I yeah. did the Vertigo tour And I got Vertigo On yeah. the tour Yeah you puked I puked my guts off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but guys, thanks so much for listening. This is not the end of our Invisible Man mini series. Next week, we're going to be diving into Paul Verhoeven's 2000s. The year 2000 was the where this film was released, starring Kevin Bacon, uh, and it is a movie called Hollow Man, where a man becomes invisible and gets up to some fucked up shit, from what I understand. <laughs> Never seen this movie. I'm excited to dive into it. It looks like a real too scared, fest. too scared. So tune in next week and say hello, man, to Hollow Man. Yep. Was that good? Yeah, I'm actually laughing a lot. All right, Truly, I, I suppressed it, but I think it's very funny. I think it's the funniest thing that I've ever and seen. And don't get confused and watch The Hollow Men, which is a TV series starring Merrick Watts. Okay? Don't get confused. Unfortunately, you'll be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really good show, but you, 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 if you're looking for a grub fest, it's not that. No, nah, it's the opposite of grubby. Hey, um, you can follow both of us on Instagram mm-hmm. and Twitter. You are at This Is Alexi. And you are at I Am Cameron James. That's correct. You can also spend five bucks a month. Yeah, so five bucks a month, the subscription to, to Total get Reboot. The Total Reboot. Patreon. Patreon.com slash Total Reboot. Yes, we have a bonus podcast for Patreon subscribers called Total Respect, where we pay total respect to the great actors of all time and talk through some of their films we also have a special facebook group where people post things that they like to talk about and Mm. we like to talk about them as well namely movies namely movies namely tv shows namely comedy goofy sometimes a web series sometimes we'll allow a web-based show to get a little air in there every (laughs) now and then but it's a great community we love you guys so much and such a great way to be connected together with other like-minded film fans uh also on march 21st i believe i am hosting another screening of comedians talk over movies the movie is speed to cruise control Oof. i'll be joined by the very funny john robles from the get over it podcast and where it's speed one is his favorite movie ever and he's never seen speed two so we're going in crazy we're going in half Cocked. Oh my god, Jason Patrick is in that replacing Keanu <laughs> yes, And then Willem Dafoe, I believe, replacing Dennis Hopper. Really? Yeah, I think he's the villain in it. <laughs> That's as far as I know, except that it's set on a cruise ship. And I don't know, cruise ships are not known for going at any kind of speed, velocity or otherwise. <laughs> I think it was written as a standalone thriller, and then uh, someone in like 
production, early mm. production was like, let's just make it a fucking speed yeah. sequel. Put Sandy B in there, yeah. make Keanu die or something. <laughs> it's one of those fucking ones where but they decide later. Uh, but you're going on a little tour very soon. You're going to be doing am. comedy festivals all around Oz. I am. I swore I wouldn't do comedy festivals this year because of my workload on the feed and on this show, but I have caved and decided that the only way that I will do these shows is if I get to do them with one of my great friends, Becky Lucas. So Becky and I are doing a duo show together mm-hmm. in Brisbane for the Brisbane Comedy Festival on March 13 to 15. Yep. Uh, every Friday and Saturday night during Melbourne Comedy Festival, which starts on the 27th of March, ends on the 18th of April. And then in Sydney, at the very end of Sydney, uh, uh, very end of uh, April... On uh, the twenty ninth, in, in the Blue Mountains, you mean? No, right in the heart of Sydney. Okay, at the Factory Theatre, which I think is the heart of Sydney. I think so too. It's the hub ways. of the city. So come and watch Becky and I do stuff together on stage. Lots of jokes, lots of crowd work, lots of guests. Mm-hmm. There's a projector with images going up on it. Oh my Can't God. say what it's going to be, but it might be. Pictures of my <laughs> my wife, <laughs> beautiful wife, who I love. You'll finally get to see what she looks like. You've imagined her, I'm sure, over the years of doing this podcast. And now you finally get to see her. She's beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love her. <laughs> I love her so much. Uh, so, yeah, come watch those shows. And that's kind of all I have to say. Okay. There isn't any more. Mm.